Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, you're having a chat about artificial light. Which, uh, which is not, at first blush, the sort of thing that you might generally consider to have a history, but it does. The fact that you can, today, flick a switch and bathe your house in light, that didn't come from nowhere. This technology had to come from somewhere. It had to come from something. And today, we're going to talk about what? It's a fascinating topic. It really is. Artificial light has, in many ways, defined our history, or really created it. Without artificial light, we would still very likely be banging rocks together from the comfortable safety of our tree branches, but that's not the course that our species history has taken. Starting from the mastery of fire, humans have learnt to illuminate the darkness and conquer the night with consequences that have shaped not just our civilization, but our physical biology. The story of humanity is one written under the flicker of artificial light, from burning torches to dancing candle flames, from the warm glow of the gas lamp to the steady illumination of the electric bulb. And that is what we're going to talk about today, how our relationship with artificial light began, how it has developed, how we harnessed fire in various forms before ultimately leaving it behind for the electricity that we use today. And We won't just talk about the technologies behind artificial light, but also the effects and impacts of artificial light on humanity in general, how it has shaped and changed us, how our civilization couldn't exist without it. So if you're a fan of the various history of whatever episodes that we've had in the past, I've got a real treat for you here today. This one is so interesting. And if you're not a fan of them, well, I don't... You bloody should be. Go back and give them another go. Episode 92, History of the Potato. Episode 124, History of Birth Control. Episode 162, History of the Bicycle. And of course, of course, Episode 139, History of the Toilet. Get across them. Anyway, a lot to get across today, as ever. So here we go with the history of artificial light. Let's get to it. Let's get stuck in. We're going all the way back here. We're going all the way back to, oh, jeez. Hundreds of thousands of years ago, millions perhaps, to pre-human history, when our early ancestors first encountered, made use of, and ultimately mastered fire. It's more than likely that early humans came across fire after lightning strikes or perhaps volcanic eruptions, and eventually they overcame their fear to investigate this strange, hot, flickering phenomenon, and uh, then realized how useful it could be. There's still there's still a fair bit of debate about exactly when early hominins started using fire as a tool, but there's no debate as to how important it was for us as a species and how enormously it impacted us in our evolution. Fire shaped the development of humans and turned us into what we are today, Homo sapiens. And without it, as I mentioned, we would probably still think that banging two rocks together in order to make one of them a bit sharper was the pinnacle of technological progress. Fire provided us with warmth through cold nights and allowed us to colonize cold areas of the planet. It gave us a tool and a weapon to stave off dangerous beasts that harbored a fear of fire. 
It aided us in developing new technologies from fire-hardened sticks for hunting to the production of fired pottery to the smelting of metals. Fire is in many ways the basis of almost all technology that came after it. Without fire, we don't have metalworking for a start. We don't have glass or bricks or, I don't know, the internal combustion engine. So while you might not see the direct technological link between humans waving burning sticks about and the phone you're using to listen to this podcast, it very certainly is there. But look, we're not here to talk about that today. We're here to talk about something else that that fire provided early humans with, something that would completely change the way that we as a species lived our lives. Fire, of course, is a source not just of heat, but also of light. And without light, without artificial light, you are completely at the mercy of the sun, the moon, and the stars to see where you're going. But with the artificial light that fire brings, all new hours of the day, or hours of the night, really, are unlocked. Instead of just going to sleep as soon as the sun went down, hiding up in trees from potential predators, early humans could gather around a campfire at night. And these fireside gatherings changed humanity forever. By the hearth, humans would sit and, well, not talk, they hadn't come up with language just yet, but they would interact. They would strengthen their social and cultural bonds, spend their evenings in relaxed, comfortable, illuminated enjoyment rather than on constant, anxious alert for predators. And then, of course, when language did come along between 50,000 and 150,000 years ago, the fireside became a place to tell, tell each other about your day, talk things over, share knowledge and stories. Something as simple as having a bit of light at night changed everything from our sleeping patterns to our social interactions to our relationships with predators. Since we mastered fire as a source of artificial light, we have never looked back. Fire and the light that it provides has been a central, a foundational aspect of human development and human civilization. This is not an overstatement. Without fire, modern humans simply would not exist. From a biological standpoint, it changed what we ate as we began to cook our food, making it easier to digest and more nutritious to eat. But having access to light at nighttime changed how long we would sleep each night, because now we didn't have to go to bed when the sun went down. It allowed us to spread across the planet, keeping ourselves warm in frigid climates. It kept us safe from predators and paved the way for all the marvellous technological advancements that make modern life what it is today. It is, in a very real way, one of the foundations of human civilization. But let's focus now on the role that it played in providing us with a source of artificial light and talk about how we further tamed fire and bent it to our will to illuminate our way in the dark. Early humans figured out that it isn't just wood that burns. All sorts of other stuff does, including, critically, animal fat. And this first manifested itself in the form of torches. Sticks with animal hide wrapped around one end, soaked in animal fat. And this would then burn at a predictable rate and in a relatively safe manner. And now fire and the light that it gave off was portable. This enabled humans to do things like travel at night, explore caves, or brandish fire as a handheld weapon. And as the millennia passed, ancient humans made another breakthrough in the development of portable fire-based technology when they invented 
the wick. Twisted strands of fibre soaked in animal fat that would burn slowly and safely for as long as there was fuel for the wick to soak up. In around the 16th century BCE, we are swiftly approaching the dawn of history here, clay lamps were invented, little pots filled with something flammable, uh, with a wick poking up through a little hole in the top. And the the wick would draw the fuel, usually animal fat, up with a capillary action up through the wick, and a small, steady flame would burn at the top of the wick, again, for as long as there was fuel to keep it alight. And while animal fat was uh, certainly one of the more popular forms of fuel used by many ancient humans in in very ancient times, uh, it wasn't the only one, particularly around the Mediterranean, where olive oil was used as fuel rather than animal fat. But still, animal fat played a very big role in the development of another fire-based source of artificial light, the candle. Rather than use a pot or whatever else to contain the fuel that a wick would burn, why not just use the fuel itself without a container? Candles were invented independently in many regions across the world, from ancient Egypt to Rome to India to China, but the core idea remained the same. In case a wick in solid fuel, light the wick, and it will melt a small amount of the fuel at the top, burn it for heat and light, and then keep burning down the wick until there is no fuel left. This is an ancient technology, but it is, a, it, is, it is a very bloody good one. Let me tell you, we still have candles even today, of course, despite their near total obsolescence in a world of electric light. But, well, we'll come to that. Candles can use all sorts of fuel, too. Animal fat called tallow was historically the most common source of fuel, but as we move now into the, med- into the medieval period, beeswax was, was also used. Wax candles were a real luxury item. They were usually reserved for the nobility and the clergy, Uh, While unwashed peasants like you or I, we would have had to stick with tallow, which was smelly and unpleasant and also didn't actually give off all that much light. But then, in the 18th century, an incredible discovery was made. Inside the head of the sperm whale, of all things, was a marvellous substance called spermaceti. Now, listen to this. Spermaceti is an absolutely incredible thing. It can be used in leatherworking, pharmaceuticals, cosmetics, and you can even burn it as fuel for candles. And better yet, the candles that use spermaceti don't stink. They produce bright white flames much better than horrible old tallow. How very lucky we are to have discovered spermaceti. Now, Did our hunger for spermaceti nearly result in the extinction of sperm whales as we hunted them up and down the seven seas for the precious contents of their heads? Well, yes, sure, but that's a small price to pay, I'm sure you'll agree, for clean burning candles. Happily, sperm whales were saved from extinction by the discovery of paraffin wax, which could be used to fuel candles instead. Uh, It can be made from crude oil or coal, And it also burns cleanly and brightly and doesn't involve driving a species to extinction. Of course, it is a fossil fuel being made of oil or coal, but who cares? That's the next generation's problem. Don't worry about that. Most modern candles even today are still made of paraffin wax. And uh, while these days candles are only used as a cosmetic upgrade to the atmosphere of a romantic dinner or to give a child an excuse to spit all over a cake after being sung to... They are still a remarkable invention. Self-contained, self-consuming, candles are a very handy way to light an area, whether that's the interior of your house in a candlestick or a candle holder, 
or when you're venturing outdoors at night when you can place one in a little lantern to protect it from the wind. A humble invention, but one that looked after us very well for a very long time until the next big breakthrough in artificial light came along. In the 18th century, as scientists around the world unlocked many of the great secrets of nature, fire was one of the things put under rigorous investigation as people tried to discover how and why things burnt. There were some very excitingly incorrect theories, for instance, that flammable things contained a substance called phlogiston, and this is what caused them to burn. When something was burnt, it was said to be deflogisticated, which sounds very impressive, but was also a very impressively wrong conclusion for scientists to draw. We now know, of course, that it is the oxygen in the air that we breathe that facilitates combustion, uh, which chemists eventually figured out. Uh, but I want to tell you about one chemist in particular here, a Swiss fella whose name was Aimer Argon. Now, in 1780, Argon decided that he could improve upon tens of thousands of years of largely untouched human technology and invent a better way to provide artificial light than the simple wick. Now, this sounds like the unchecked ambition of a madman, thinking that he can do better than tens of thousands of years of humans that had gone before him. But I tell you what, he bloody did it. Argon invented an oil lamp similar to traditional oil lamps, except it incorporated a hollow tube through which air could help to feed the flame that burnt on the wick. This new design was a marvel. These new lamps, Argon lamps, burnt brighter, for one, and also consumed fuel much slower because they were burning more oxygen thanks to these tubes that provided the flame with more air than normal wicks ever had had access to. Argon took his wonderful new invention to the British industrialist Matthew Bolton, co-founder of the engineering firm Bolton & Watt, which played a massive part in the Industrial Revolution as a, as a manufacturer of steam engines. And Bolton, he has a look at this new lamp, the Argon lamp, and he bloody loves it. Starts making tons of the things, as do all sorts of other engineering firms as well, all before poor old Argon can take out a patent on it. So Argon died in poverty, the poor bastard. But the Argon lamp lived on, and it quickly became the principal way to light homes and businesses throughout the industrial world in the 19th century. Now, like... All good inventions, argon lamps were in turn eventually obsoleted, this time by the invention of kerosene, which burned so brightly and efficiently that it didn't need extra airflow. And today we still use kerosene a lot of the time in, uh, in places where electricity isn't widely available or too expensive. This is how we will provide ourselves with artificial illumination kerosene lamps. But it all goes back to argon and his incredible invention, a bloke who really pushed us a long way forward with our harnessing of artificial light, a more efficient way than ever to illuminate the darkness. But it's now time to move on from wicks altogether, because around the turn of the 19th century, a Scottish fella named William Murdoch was about to blow everyone out of the water with his brand new wickless form of artificial lighting. Murdoch was experimenting with coal gas. Everyone knew that heated coal gave off a flammable gas. This was common knowledge, but... Murdoch investigated to see if there was a way to harness this gas as a source of light. And it turns out that there was. He built a device that harvested the gas from heated coal and uh, a way to, to carefully funnel this gas through small pipes before igniting it. And lo and behold, 
Murdoch had created the first practical gas burner and he used it to light his home. He took this idea to his employers and you'll never guess who he worked for. He worked for Bolton and Watt. Gaslighting was tested by these industrialists as a way to illuminate one of the firm's factories in Birmingham and people were astonished to see light produced without a wick, without oil or without anything of the sort. No more changing out candles or refilling oil reservoirs. Gas could be pumped in and bright white light would be produced by these incredible new gaslights. Gaslighting technology spread like wildfire. Within the space of a few decades, most medium-sized towns in the industrial world were lit by gas. And it wasn't just people's homes that were illuminated in this way either. For, for the first time in history, large indoor spaces could be efficiently, simply, and safely lit. And it didn't stop there. Gas-powered streetlights were installed throughout major cities. And all of a sudden, you could safely walk the city streets at night. We take all this sort of stuff for granted these days, but it's here at the dawn of industrialised light that I want to pause and talk about some of the effects that the abundance of artificial light had on human civilization and society. We've already talked about how artificial light hundreds of thousands or perhaps millions of years ago changed everything about humanity, our society, our culture, even our biology. Well, the age of industrial light was another huge moment for humanity, although obviously not quite on the level of mastering fire. All the same, widespread access to artificial light revolutionized so much about the way we live our lives. And I'll try to give you a quick rundown here. Firstly, in the home, where gas lights were enthusiastically adopted, where gas fittings were installed, where dark and gloomy rooms were transformed, lit up brilliantly by gaslight. People had been lighting their homes for millennia, of course, but never like this. Never in a way that made it possible to behave as though it was just daytime. The low flickering of a candle wasn't sufficient to easily read by, for instance, or perform delicate activities like sewing or drawing. Throughout the 19th century, literacy rates in developed countries soared, thanks in part to people being able to come home and read in gaslight, rather than squabbling with family members over who got the candle, in addition to the fact that reading materials, books, newspapers, magazines, were more abundant and readily available than ever before in history, again, because there was a bigger audience for them. Gaslighting changed industry forever as well. It made enormous factories possible, which otherwise would have been extremely difficult to properly light. And what's more, these factories could now stay open and operate 24 hours a day, with workers labouring through the night, lit up by the gaslights overhead. Industry shifted away from small-scale artisanal manufacturing and little workshops, operational only during the day or perhaps occasionally at night by candlelight, and instead shifted towards mass production, assembly lines, mechanised manufacturing, low-skilled labour operating machinery at all hours of the day and night. Industry demanded efficiency and unlocking an extra 12 hours a day, wresting it away from the clutches of darkness, increased efficiency and productivity like never before at a real human cost. Of course, the Industrial Revolution was not a good time to be a factory worker with 
horrific conditions, awful pay, and a very high risk of injury or death in terrifyingly unsafe work environments. But this was the brave new world, unlocked by the Industrial Revolution, powered by industrial lighting. But it wasn't all doom and gloom. However, streets were made safer as they were illuminated by gas lighting. People would do something unthinkable as a result, something that only a few short decades before was inconceivable to people living in large towns and cities. They would venture out at night for recreation and pleasure. Theatres with gas lights illuminating the stage became a pleasant way to spend an evening, or perhaps you might attend a public lecture or a meeting at a local community hall. Eating out at restaurants, browsing late-night shops, meeting like-minded people at special interest groups or political clubs, attending social gatherings or cultural events, a whole new world of evening pastimes was opened up to people as they walked well-lit streets to and from their homes after hours. Nightlife had begun, and it was only made possible by the abundance of illumination brought about by gas lighting. You wouldn't dare to walk down dark streets that didn't have the safety of gas lamps keeping them well lit, but as industrial light began to take over the developed world, this changed forever. But gas lighting wouldn't last forever, of course, and it in turn was obsoleted by the next thing to come along and light up the world, electricity. We've talked a little bit about some of the early forays into the scientific investigation of electricity on the show before, episode 255, Benjamin Franklin, get across it. But it wasn't until the 19th century that the power of electricity would begin to be harnessed properly and applied for use in our daily lives. Around the year 1800, the Italian scientist Alessandro Volta, for whom the Volt is named, as you probably figured out, invented the world's first electrochemical battery, the Voltaic Pile. And this was the first device able to provide a continuous, steady flow of electricity upon which countless scientists, inventors, and engineers based new discoveries and understandings. And one of these blokes was a fellow named Sir Humphrey Davy, who incidentally also gave laughing gas its name after experimenting with it, although that doesn't really have anything to do with, with artificial light. Davy just loved having a suck on a bit of laughing gas. No, the thing, the thing that I want to uh, talk about with Davy is his experimentation with Volta's battery technology and his invention of the world's first source of electrically powered artificial light. Davy invented the arc lamp, a device that produces light by firing an electrical charge across two electrodes with a small gap between them. This creates an arc of bright electricity between the electrodes, electrically powered light. Now, there are lots and lots of problems with arc lamps. They are horrifically inefficient. They require enormous amounts of power for very brief periods of illumination. They also flicker like crazy and they emit loud and troubling noises, hisses and fizzes and pops and all sorts of other very worrying sounds. So it took a long, long time for arc lights to be developed to the point that they were actually practical for proper use. It wasn't until the 1870s that arc lighting began to be installed in major cities like Paris, London, and this is not a joke, Wabash, Indiana, the first place in the US to be illuminated by arc lighting. But even then, these arc lights still had their problems, one of which will surprise you. They were, believe it or not, too bright. Gas lights could be installed as street lamps just a little way above your head. They bathe the surrounding area with a pleasant glow. But arc lights, on the other hand, 
were absolutely bloody blinding. And the only way to use them as street lighting was to install them way, way up in the air so it didn't feel like you were standing on the surface of the sun. Some US cities installed massive 50-metre high towers in central locations that flooded the surrounding area with arc lighting, but you won't be surprised to learn that people didn't like them very much. They were just too bright. Arc lighting was too good at its job. It actually created too much light. Talk about being a victim of your own success. However, as you well know, Electric lighting didn't stop at arc lights, as evidenced now by the fact that if you look around from where you are right now listening to this podcast, you are very likely close to a source of electric light. You wouldn't have to look too hard to find one, I'd wager. The real breakthrough with electric light came not with arc light, but with incandescent light, heating up a metal filament to the point that it glowed. So let's get into incandescent light here because it's a very important chapter in the history of artificial light. Even though these days incandescent bulbs and the like are actually well on their way to being phased out. But when you imagine a light bulb in your head, I'll bet you still imagine an incandescent bulb. This kind of artificial light was an absolute game changer and its its impact on human civilization was was monumental. Incandescent light was made possible when electricity was more fully understood and harnessed as an energy source. Once scientists and researchers had a better idea of what electricity is and how it works, it was engineers and inventors that started to look for its practical applications. And this started with things like arc lamps, but as we've already said, they were a victim of their own success, too bright to be used for everyday illumination. Oh, I guess every night illumination. Oh, thank you. Uh, Anyway, we all know that metal glows when sufficiently heated. Metallurgy had unlocked that particular secret millennia ago. But it was a question of efficiently and sustainably heating metal so it could do more than just glow, but actually illuminate areas properly as well. Electric incandescence as a a proof of concept goes back to 1802 when the, the same bloke from before, Humphrey Davy of the Laughing Gas, Um, when he used a a massive battery to zap a strip of platinum until it glowed. Now, it didn't glow very bright and it didn't glow very long, but it proved that the idea had legs. And for decades after Davy's trick with the platinum, various inventors and engineers wrestled with materials like platinum, iridium, sometimes non-metals like carbon, trying to figure out a way to make them glow long and bright. And the breakthrough came when people started encasing their filaments, the strips or rods that they wanted to heat up, in vacuums. Now, why is this? Because if you heat up something enough, anything really, it might burst into flames, thanks to all the marvellously flammable oxygen in the atmosphere. Heat up a filament and it'll just catch fire, which is... Still a source of light, I suppose, but not really what people were going for. We've had fire torches for a long time. No one's getting excited about them anymore. But you whack a filament into a vacuum bulb, and all of a sudden, there's nothing for it to burn. No oxygen. Nothing in a vacuum. So all it does is glow. So great. We've got that figured out. No worries. Well, actually, no. Yes worries, because... This is the mid-19th century, and we are not very good at creating vacuums. It could be done, of course, just not very well. 
And while vacuum bulbs with both platinum and carbon filaments were experimented with in the 1840s and 1850s, it wasn't until 1865, with the invention of the Sprengel pump, that proper vacuums could efficiently and effectively be created. The Sprengel pump, named after its inventor Hermann Sprengel, it really sucked. Sucked the air right out of a given vessel, that is. Uh, yeah, that was that wasn't that wasn't my best. That probably that probably needed a bit more time in the oven. Anyway, anyway, um, the, the point is that this new vacuum pump it was a huge leap forward for people trying to make incandescent light bulbs, as they could now make vacuum bulbs much more easily than ever before. And who were these people? You might wonder. Well, when you think inventors and light bulbs, you probably think of. Thomas Edison, the famed American inventor responsible for inventing the light bulb. Everyone knows that. And of course, it is absolutely false. He did not invent the light bulb. He did improve it, as we'll come to. But we'll get to Edison in due course. But uh, before that, I want to mention uh, a fellow named Joseph Swan, who was another pioneer in the field of incandescent bulbs and someone who is, sadly, all too often overlooked. Swan was a self-taught physicist, which is pretty impressive, British fella, and he had worked for a long time on incandescent lights and filaments and whatever else. But when the Sprengel pump came along and when proper vacuum bulbs could be made with relative ease, Swan threw himself into working on incandescent light bulbs and he did a bloody excellent job. In February 1879, after years of work, he successfully showcased a vacuum bulb with a carbon filament that provided illumination for 40 hours before burning out. An incredible achievement. That same year, the world's first incandescent street lamp was lit in Moseley Street in Newcastle in the UK. And by 1881, his light bulbs were in public buildings, starting with the famous Savoy Theatre in London, the very first public building in history to be lit purely with electricity. However... Very sadly, despite bringing this revolutionary incandescent bulb to the world, Swan didn't take out a patent on his work. And this proved to be a bad move. Perhaps one of the reasons that he is so often overlooked by history because a bloke who did take out patents on his work and other people's work too when he could get away with it was Thomas Alva Edison. Bloody loved a patent, this fella. Couldn't get enough of them. He already had patents on things like telegraph systems, voting machines, phonographs, all sorts. And of course, now, the light bulb as well. One of the things Edison is most famous for is his invention of the light bulb, which he, quite simply, just didn't invent. Light bulbs have been around for ages as we've talked about by the time we get to Edison he certainly improved them there's no denying that but he didn't he definitely didn't invent them Edison gave a public display of his version of the incandescent light bulb in December 1879 months after Swan's 40-hour bulb um, Edison's bulbs were not the first but try telling the general public that everyone thinks they were edison was a very clever bloke a ruthless bloke and he did what he needed to do to ensure that his priority was recognized at the patent office while swan didn't patent his designs edison certainly bloody did patent his and i tell you what he didn't muck around with these patents at all remember swan lighting up the savoy theater in london when edison heard about that he went ahead and sued Poor old Swan for patent infringement. Imagine that. Never mind that Swan had gotten there first. Oh, no. Edison was the first to the patent office, and he wasn't about to let this Johnny come 
early leave steal his thunder. Funnily enough, this court case ultimately resulted in the merger of the Edison and the Swan Electric Companies, creating the Edison and Swan United Electric Company, also known very pleasingly as Ediswan. And I'll tell you more about Edison's legal disputes because some of them are very interesting, but there are only so many hours in the day, never mind the bloody French Revolution, you could do it up. You could do a whole podcast series on Edison and his patents. Anyway, the long and the short of this whole saga was this. Because of pioneering inventors like Swan and like Edison, gaslighting very quickly became a thing of the past with the ascendancy of incandescent lighting. The soft, flickering glow of gas street lights was replaced with the steady hum of lights powered by electricity. And inside houses and businesses, gas fixtures were ripped out and replaced with electric wiring. By the 1890s, electric incandescent lighting was spreading across the highly developed world and people could illuminate their homes at the flick of a switch. The future was here, and it wasn't just with electric lighting either. Kettles, fans, irons, all sorts of electrical consumer goods were made possible through the electrification of towns and cities. Electricity was here to stay, as evidenced by the fact that you are right now, listening to me talk thanks to a device powered by electricity. Anyway, as we move into the 20th century, improvements were made to incandescent light bulbs. Tungsten, it emerged, was the best substance to use as a filament rather than platinum or carbon. And eventually, even vacuums were done away with in creating light bulbs. Instead, it was discovered that inert gases like nitrogen or argon were better as filling a bulb with inert gas rather than a vacuum made filaments last longer and also greatly reduced bulb blackening. If you go back and look at those old light bulbs with their long spindly filaments, you'll see that many of them are blackened and burnt on the inside. Those are vacuum bulbs, whereas ones without signs of blackening would have been filled with inert gases. More and more improvements took place, making incandescent bulbs brighter and more efficient and therefore more widespread. By the end of the Second World War, almost 800 million electric lamps were being manufactured every year. The age of electric light had well and truly eclipsed all its predecessors. No longer did humans use fire to light up the night. From fire to torches to candles to gas lights, Fire had always been the source of our nighttime illumination, but with the world lit up by incandescence, fire became a quaint and old-fashioned way to illuminate the dark. However, for all the benefits and advantages of incandescent light, it still had some significant shortfalls. Over 95% of the electricity used to power an incandescent light bulb, even today, is given off as heat, not as light. And on top of this, they don't last very long either, and this combined with their enormous energy and efficiency has seen us more recently move away from incandescence. And towards what, you may wonder? Well, a few different types of new sources of artificial light, ones that you are probably very familiar with. Firstly, of course, fluorescent light. Those long tubes that sometimes make fun noises as they flicker to life. I'm not going to pretend that I know how they work, Something about electrons in mercury atoms getting excited. I don't, I don't know how they get mercury atoms excited, but they do apparently. And that plus things like 
ionize noble gases and plasma through impact ionization and other marvelously complicated things. They make the skinny tubes glow. How about that? After decades of research, fluorescent lights became commercially viable in the 1920s and 30s, and by the 1950s, they had overtaken incandescent lights as the principal source of artificial light in many places around the world, including the United States. They're far more efficient and they last much longer than incandescent lamps. They don't fight your air conditioning by releasing a ton of heat and they're full of mercury. So they're quite dangerous, which is good fun. On top of fluorescent lights, say a more modern form of artificial lighting is metal halide lights. You'll find these in sports stadiums and in car headlights. They produce very, very bright white light. Uh, sometimes they're called xenon lights as they, I don't know, involve the use of xenon somewhere, probably. Um, and unlike the old incandescent bulbs that were made using vacuums, metal halide lamps actually operate under enormous pressure. Not in the sense that people yell at them to meet their lighting quotas or else, but rather inside these bulbs, inside metal halide bulbs, there is often very high pressure, not zero pressure, uh, up to 20 atmospheres, in fact. They were developed in the 1960s. Even today, metal halide lights are a growing area of lighting technology, but they're not growing anywhere near as quickly as the lighting technology that even now is completely taking over modern artificial light. LED lamps are overwhelmingly becoming more popular and widespread than any other form of artificial light. And I'm definitely not going to even attempt to understand how they work, but I can tell you this, LED lamps are bloody excellent. They're super efficient. They don't wear out when they're turned off and on like fluorescent lights. They don't generate excess heat like incandescent lights. They are easily controlled in terms of brightness and color. They last for ages and ages and ages, thousands and thousands of hours. LED light bulbs are being manufactured to replace the old standard bulbs that we used to have in our houses, which has helped to reduce energy consumption and material waste. These things are fantastic. If you haven't already upgraded the lights in your home to LEDs, you should. You can even get fancy smart bulbs that you can control with your phone, make them change colors and everything. I've got, I've got, I've got them in my house. They're great fun. But with these forms of modern artificial lighting technology, we well and truly come to the present day with LEDs lighting up our homes and fluorescent lights lighting up our businesses and metal halide lights lighting up the night outside. It remains to be seen what the next source of artificial light will be for humanity. From open fires to flickering candles, from the glow of gas to the hum of electricity, humans have lit up the night for as long as we've been a species. Our ability to conquer the darkness has defined our history. The story of our civilization is one built upon firelight and the mastery of the night as well as the day. Without artificial light, the world would be unrecognisable. Nothing we have achieved as a species beyond banging rocks together would be possible were it not for fire and the light that it gives us. Today, as I say, we take artificial light for granted. And that shouldn't come as a surprise, given how utterly ubiquitous and effortlessly available it is almost everywhere in the world, from fire to LEDs. Billions upon billions of sources of artificial lights mean that we hardly ever find ourselves in the dark. Indeed, 
There is so much artificial light these days that we now talk about light pollution. It's difficult to see the Milky Way in the night sky in any built-up area. But even so, humanity owes its very existence to artificial light. And so, I salute that unknown hominin who, countless aeons ago, set human history on its course by picking up a burning branch one day and thinking, this might be useful. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the history of artificial lighting. And there are so many more episodes like this in the Half-Assed History Archives. If you're, if you're interested in other history of X topics, there's the history of the potato, of coffee, clocks, money, the history of gunpowder, history of birth control, the history of football, all the different codes. Uh, history of the toilet, of course, a classic. Penicillin, the castle, the bicycle, nuclear weapons. Most recently, most most recently, the history of flight. You can go back and get across uh, all of those topics and so much more as well. If you're a new listener, by the way, welcome. By all means, welcome. We've had a bunch of new listeners come across to Half Us History recently, and I want to welcome you to uh, this uh, this Tin Pot History podcast. It is very much great to have you along. I've actually put in the uh, in the podcast description right at the top. Uh, a series of links to uh, some of the some of the classic half hour history episodes. If you're unsure as to exactly where to start your half hour history journey after having listened to some of the more recent episodes, have a listen to the ones that I've uh, that I've highlighted up there. Maybe you'll enjoy them. If you do, well, you know you're probably in for a good time getting across all 260 whatever episodes of this uh, of this show. And if you don't like them, if you if you don't enjoy listening to me laugh at my own fart jokes, well. I don't know what to tell you, man. I guess I guess there are other podcasts out there for you. No, look, it is great to have everyone come and listen to this uh, to this uh, silly show every week. Uh, whether you're a new listener or an old listener, it is fantastic to have you as part of the Half Hour History community. Uh, if you want to support the show, of course, I do say this every week, but it's worth reminding people now, especially as uh, we've got all these new listeners, head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash History. It's there that you'll gain access to ad-free listening, of course. And in addition to that, I, uh, I offer access to uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, the show notes, which are very useful as study guides, uh, in addition to uncut episodes, early access to shows as well, and exclusive Patreon-only merch. That's the only place you can get it. Um, other more uh, inclusive merch is available, of course, uh, at our Public shop. Go to halfhourshistory.net and, and follow the links, or you can go to bit.ly slash H-A-H merch. Follow the link there, and you'll be able to grab yourself a T-shirt or a mug or whatever your heart uh, whatever your heart desires i'm sure you'll find it well maybe not you're not going to find like a i don't know a toilet made of gold although that would be a uh, hmm, an exclusive premium merch offering maybe if we ever get that big that'll be <laughs> that'll be something i look into anyway thank you so much for listening uh to the show and uh, if you could do me a favor and tell your friends tell your enemies tell people about whom you feel largely ambivalent and if you don't have any friends enemies or people you feel largely ambivalent a way that you can still tell people about the show is by leaving a review i very much appreciate the people who are taking the time to uh, to rate or review the show thanks so much um i've said for a long time i don't really understand how it helps me out i understand that it's good for the algorithm whatever that is um, and I'm, uh, I'm quite humbled to say that I got an email from Spotify uh, just this week telling me that half Hour History is the fifth highest ranked podcast in Australia. Not the fifth highest ranked history podcast. It's the number one ranked history podcast in Australia. The fifth highest 
overall podcast in the country. And for that, I just, I honestly just don't know what to say. It is incredible to think that so many people enjoy listening to me spout off silly nonsense about stuff each week, hopefully maybe learning a thing or two as we do it. But holy moly, I couldn't have done it without you. So if you're an old listener or a new listener or somewhere in between, thank you so very bloody much for listening to Half-Assed History. And I hope you'll continue to for a good long while to come. Anyway, Going to close out the show, of course, the same way we do every week with a question posed on Reddit. This one about light bulbs, very appropriate. It comes to us from Redditor Comoros, who asks, Before the invention of the light bulb, what was it that popped up over someone's head when they had a good idea? <laughs> <laughs>